You know, uh, I was uh, talking to my dad about the men's retreat and what lesson, I, what lesson I wanted to do. And, you know, he told you the other night at first he asked me to do the first one. And I actually uh, told him, no, and he told me what lesson he was going to do. And I said, well, you need to uh, read the Day of War book and you need to build it around that. But he's too old and he can't read anymore because his eyesight's so bad and he's lazy. So he said, well, instead, why don't you do it? And so I said, okay, I'll do it since I've already read the book. And, uh, you know, so uh, uh, there's this book out, a book series called uh, Line of War series. And the first book is called Day of War. And basically what this book is, is this author, he's a Marine, he has looked into what the Word of God has to say about David and about the history of David and his mighty men and uh, all the things that went on with that. And then he went and read Philistine history and he's read about Israelite history and what he's, and, and their cultures and the way that they lived. And what he's done is he's written these books that say, I want to kind of try to fill in the gaps about how maybe some of those things that you hear about the mighty men, how they came about and, and why they were in the places they were and had to fight the battles they did and why Ben and I had to go down into a snowy pit with a lion. And he writes it. And the, the amazing thing about the books is I think a lot of times whenever I read about David and his mighty men, I think about the fights, right? I think about the battles that they were involved in because that's the flashy stuff. That's the stuff that sticks out. But as I read these books, I realized something that I don't think I had ever realized before, and that was that these men, not only, you know, they didn't only meet up and go, okay, let's go kill some people. And then they're like, okay, good day, glad you killed 400 people, I'll see you later. And they went back to their separate homes. And I had never made the connection that whenever they were fighting together, that they had intimate relationships. And that they were living out in the wilderness together, and everywhere they went, they were with each other. And I had never really thought about the fact the, the reason God was able to take David to the throne and the, the reason he was able to put him in power is because he had a group of mighty men who were together. And they had relationships with one another and they cared for one another and they watched one another's backs and they were together. And that was what was able to push that through. And if you read those books, I promise you, you will not be disappointed. Because it, it reminds me as I'm reading it, it's, it's funny because it reminds me of conversations that you and I have had, and that people in your small groups have had with one another. And you realize that these were just normal people, regular, ordinary people that God was working mightily through, and he did it as they worked together to put David on the throne. And I started thinking about, you know, as, as men in our churches, we need to realize that if God is going to do amazing things through our churches, he's going to do it whenever we band together. And whenever we are a unified group of men who are together and we're of one mind and one spirit and one heart and we look and we say, this is what God wants for the kingdom of God and this is what I need to be and I'm going to wrap, wrap my arms around the men in my small group. And I'm going to wrap the, my arms around the men in my, in my uh, ministry and we are going to move the kingdom of God forward together. And, and, you know, I watch sometimes as our, as the, I watch the relationships that the ladies in our churches have in our relationships. And sometimes they, much, in a much more easy manner, take those relationships to deeper places, to more intimate places. And I, and I struggle with this myself, but I want us to look today and realize that if God is going to do what he wants to accomplish on, on earth, he needs us to man up together. He needs us to join one another and join forces and able to make everything work. You see, David was a man who understood that he needed other men. 
You know, you look at his relationship with Jonathan, which came about before his relationship with these other men. He was a man who, you know, you look at that relationship that they had and it says that their love for one another was greater than the love of a woman. And you've heard lessons on that before. David was a man who understood the need to have that relationship and he desired to have that intimate relationship. And think about how heartbreaking it was for him when he didn't have that relationship anymore. When that relationship had to come to an end because of Saul's hatred for him and he had to go on the run. And I imagine what it felt like for him to be ripped out of this relationship where he was so close. And where he felt so unified with another man. And he felt like they had each other's backs and they cared about the same things and that God was their number one priority. A man like Jonathan who was willing to say, take my cloak, take my sword, take everything. I'm handing you the kingdom because I know this is what God wants. It was an amazing, phenomenal relationship, and David was a man who understood that you need other men. Well, you know, what happens is Saul gets mad, and basically David and Jonathan get together, and they devise a scheme, and he says, okay, if my dad's going to kill you, I'm going to give you a warning, and you need to run. And so they work it out, and he finds out, Jonathan finds out that Saul is going to kill David, and so he gives him the warning, and David has to flee. And where I want to kind of pick up is where David, he's, he's, he took off running in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, when David escaped from the town of Gath, he went to the Adullam cave. So you have this man of God who already has done some pretty amazing things. And Saul is trying to kill him, and he knows he's going to be king someday, but he finds himself hiding in a cave. But he's had God tell him, you're going to be king over Israel. You're going to be the man, you're, the, you're a man after my heart who I'm going to rely upon to lead all of my people. Can you imagine how David must have felt after being promised this by God, after being anointed by Samuel, to be going and hiding in a cave by himself? And, and he's been with Jonathan all this time in that relationship that, that was there, and he prays in Psalm chapter 142, verses 1 through 4, there's a psalm from David's prayer while he was in this cave. And he says, I cry out to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord, I make my supplication. I pour out my complaint before him. I declare before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, you knew my path. In the way which... I... My computer just did something crazy. <laughs> Sorry. You knew my path. In the way which I walked, they have secretly set a snare for me. Look at my right hand and see, for there is no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me, and no one cares for my soul. And you have this man who had had such a good relationship with Jonathan, and here he is in this cave by himself, and he says, God, I'm in trouble, and I look around, and no one acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. And I think about how sad David must have been and how depressing that would be to be sitting there in that cave. And he went from having the best of relationships to feeling like he has no relationships at all. And the future king is hiding in a cave. And he cries out to the Lord and he's begging God to step in and do something. And as he's closing out that sentence of that prayer, he says, he's saying, I need someone. I am alone. I have no one by my side. And I think as men of God, we need to look and ask ourselves, do we long to be together? 
Do we long to be able to look to our right and to our left and to see godly men who have come up beside us like the video where we watched where they're just, they're just huffing it down the road and everywhere they look, everywhere they look behind them, they see godly men surrounding them, a, a great cloud of witnesses around them saying, we are here to do God's work. Is that what you long for? When you, when you pray and when you think about your relationships with the other men in your church and your small group, does it bring about that emotion that says, God, I want this so badly. I, I am crying out to you. Put me with someone. Bring us together so that we can do great things. You see, if you want to be together with someone else, if I want someone to be with me, I must have a desire to have relationships. And once you've had relationships, a good godly relationship, you're going to want more of them. You know, David's here and he's thinking about Jonathan and he's thinking what it's like. And then he's in the cave alone and he's thinking, man, I'm longing to have someone by my side. But here I am all alone. And I'm sure that there are a lot of you here today that you can look and you know, in the past, you look at some of the relationships you've had and you long to have those deep connections again. You know, I think about when Greater Alton first started. And I, I remember watching uh, the men when I was a kid. And I remember watching the, the thing that was so cool was to see a group of men who loved each other and cared for each other. And they were passionate and they were together. And I would watch as those guys who helped start the church, the ones who were around in the early days like Mike and Tom and Gene and watch you guys. And I watched those passionate relationships that you guys had. And I watched you interact with each other and I watched you get into it. And I would hear about it, you know, I'd hear all these crazy things. I'm like, that's nuts. But then I would go to church or I would go somewhere and I would see you guys laughing together. And I would hear about the double dates you would go on and I would think about the relationships that took place. Don't you long to have those relationships now? To where you have men coming up beside you together and you know no matter what happens, that person is not going anywhere. But you know as well as I do, it's very easy to become jaded in our relationship with God when we think about other people. You know, for, for years, I have felt so jaded and abandoned and stuck and... The relationships I had with guys that was gone is heartbreaking. But I still desire those. And the cool thing is, is like, in spite of the fact that I look at so many of my boys from the past are gone, so many other men have stepped up and have come and said, we want to be that. And even in spite of me, like, having, making it, it being hard to break through that and trust I know that that's what God wants, and I, and I want that, and I still desire that, and I long for that. And I'm so grateful that, you know, I have guys in my life who are, who are willing to push through that and be there together. And I know that whenever crap is going on in my life and there's craziness going on, I know that the guys in my zone and the leadership of my church, they're going to be there by my side. And I don't have to worry about it, and it gives great confidence you know, my dad, he can get up here and say, well, you know, it's really cool that Carrie does this. The reason I'm able to have the confidence I have in God is, is in large part due to the fact that I know that the men around me are not going to let Satan do anything that's going to harm me. They're not going to let me fall. They're not going to let my family be hungry. Is that the kind of relationships that you long for? You know, I, this uh, retreat is, Hannah and I were talking about, like, how emotional this retreat was going to be because of all the stuff going on. 
And Marlon's here. And I have longed. I have longed to have him back at my side. And I want our relationship to be something better than it was before. And I want, I want everybody else to share in those relationships. And I want to draw the guys in, you know, that, are, that have been there for me during this time. Like we were talking, I feel like my guys get shortchanged sometimes. Because I got so much junk I'm dealing with and so much crazy stuff going on and so many things. And I hate it. And last night I was thinking about, man, I just long to be able to really focus in on that and pull those guys in and let them know that I appreciate the fact that while I've been dealing with all this junk, they're picking up slack and they're calling me and they're texting me and they're emailing me and they're on Facebook. And I know, and I know in closed doors, they're sitting back there thinking, if I could get a hold of one of those people who is doing this to Carrie and Ben and doing this to our ministry, they'd be in trouble. And I know that they're godly enough that they would never act upon that. But I know the heart is there that says, I want to protect. I long and I long for those relationships, because when we have those relationships in God's kingdom, when that's what kind of men you have by your side, God is able to do something amazing. And if you don't have those relationships, stop blaming other people and realize if you desire those relationships, then God is going to help bring them about. You have to ask God to supply you mighty men. That's what David's doing in that cave. He's saying, God, I'm alone. I don't want to be here alone. You've told me you want me to do these great things. I can't do that if there's no one by my side, if there's no one to protect me, no one acknowledging me. I need refuge. I need men who care for my soul. 1 Samuel 22, 1 and 2, it goes on. It says, David left Gath and escaped to the cave at Agilom. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented, which that word actually means bitter with life, gathered around him. He became their leader and about 400 men were with him there in that cave. And he looks at God and he says, God, I long for this relationship. I need people. I need you to step in. And God starts bringing people to him. And, and, and they start gathering at this cave. Can you imagine, you know, David's sitting there in a cave and he hears something coming up the hillside. And as I'm reading this book about David, it's, it's so cool, the vivid pictures it paints. Because here he is in this cave. And I've got a picture of the cave they think he was in. And it's just so cool to see. But imagine, you know, he's in there and he's hiding. And all of a sudden he hears stones starting to tumble. And, and, and you know, little things moving around. He's like, oh man, this is it. They already found me. And he looks up. And his brothers, his dad and his brothers are there. And he's got to be like, oh, man, that's a relief. Now there's what, you know, 10 of us. So there's, you know, or how many of, our, of his family members were there? And then, you know, they're hanging out. And then they start hearing more people. And it sounds like, you know, people are trickling in. And it starts sounding like there's an army coming. And he's like, this is definitely it. Saul's definitely found me. And in come this band of misfits, this screwed up group of people. It come, they come in the distress. Those who are in debt, those who are bitter with life. And they gather around him in this cave. And he has to be sitting around thinking, this is insane. And, and the crazy thing is that the people that were with him, some of them were Israelites, some of them were not. Did you know that there were Philistines that were there with him? There were Amalekites who were there with him. These are like the enemies of God's people but for some reason, they're gathering around David. And sometimes we need to look at our lives and say, you know what? If no one's gathering around me, I need to question and ask why. 
Maybe you don't desire it, and maybe you haven't asked God, and then you also need to realize that maybe you're not a supportable man. Maybe you're not the kind of man that people look to and say, that's the kind of man I can get behind. That's the kind of man I can rally to and say, I'm going to fight for this relationship, and I'm going to fight so that we can become godly warriors who change the world. You see, because in 1 Samuel 16, whenever Samuel comes to anoint the new king of Israel... Where's David at? Anybody remember? Is he there? No. What happens? Samuel goes in, and they're putting sons before him and they're like, nope, 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 that's not it. And they're like, oh, sorry, I guess he really isn't in our house. And he's like, wait, is this all of your sons? And his dad's like, well, there's the young one out in the field. He wasn't even, they didn't even think of David like that. David was this kid who was out in the field and they didn't even think about him being the one. He didn't think enough of David that he thought he might be the king. And then if you go a chapter later, you find out that his brothers are accusing him and persecuting him. And then you turn a few a book over, and all of a sudden they're marching up to a cave to certain death to protect their brother. Something changed. Something changed. Why was it that now his brothers came to support him? Why was it now that all of the depressed and the distressed and the discontented, why were they coming to this cave to support this man? I believe it's because David was a supportable man. He was someone that they looked at and they said, I can get together with him and we can join. I can join him with what he's doing. Because you see, he had already killed Goliath. He was dead and gone. Tell me that news doesn't spread. And as I read that story in the book, it was just so cool, like, thinking about what had to be going on in the minds of all of God's people as they watched that. And, and you got this crazy kid down here with stones who, are, who is getting ready to fight this giant who has other brothers on the hillside who, even if he defeated the giant, surely they're going to come and kill him. And, he, and he's got these stones in a sling. And at first, as, he, as Goliath is running towards him, you know, all the Israelites are thinking, that dude's on his own because I'm not going down there. And here he is, he's measuring, and he's, and he's slinging, and he's measuring, he's slinging, measuring, slinging. And he lets it go, and Goliath is gone, and he cuts his head off, and all of a sudden you see the Philistines go, oh crap. And they take off over the hill, and here come God's people chasing after. Tell me that story didn't spread across every land. The Philistines knew it happened, the Israelites knew it happened. And if they knew, you knew the Amalekites, their other enemy, had to have heard about this man. And they had heard about David, and then he told them, well, you know, I killed a bear, and I've killed a lion before. And then those stories start spreading out. And they start hearing about it. And then Saul's like, I'm going to put you in command of some of my men. And every mission David goes on is a successful mission, and he's destroying people. David was a man of God that could be gathered around, and people said, I want to be a part of that. Are you that kind of man? Are you the kind of man that people look at and say, hey, if I'm getting in a fight, I want that guy to be beside me. You know, it's funny, we went to, uh, if, you, if you've ever been to an MMA fight before, you got the biggest bunch of dirt bags, putting it nicely, you will ever see in your life. Every person there thinks they can beat up every other person there, right? So we, we go to this MMA fight and we're driving and this moron is cutting us off. And he's like getting in our lane and I'm looking and I'm thinking, dude, if he knew the size of the guys in this car... If he knew, like, Mitch, who all was in that car with us? You? It was Mitch? Uh, T? There was, like, guys that they were going to get messed up if we got out of that car. And I think, Matt, were you in the car? We rolled down the window, and I'm like, dude, this guy is crazy. He doesn't know who he's messing with. And I'm thinking, if I'm going to be in a car tonight and we're going to get in a fight, I want to be in this car. You know, are you that kind of man that people look at and say, 
If I'm going to be in a fight, if I'm going to fight the devil, if there's going to be a tussle, that's who I want to be with. And people gather around. That's the kind of men that we need to be for each other. We need to be the kind of men that people can look at and know that we're supportable because we love God and we live for him. And because of that, we've been effective. They had heard about David and Goliath. They had heard about David's relationship with Jonathan. And, and imagine what they must have thought. Man, you know, Jonathan was close to David even though he knows Samuel anointed him to be king. He is going to take his spot. David must be some kind of dude for Jonathan to lay down his throne for that man and to be willing to lay down his life and put his, his life at risk for David. What kind of man is David? Man, if that's the kind of man that if Jonathan, the, the king's son, would lay down everything for a man like that, I want to get to know that man. Is that what kind of man you are? You see, David did all those things because he was a man after God's own heart. And if we want to be men who are able to be gathered to and be able to do things together, we have to examine ourselves. Stop blaming everyone else for not gathering around you and start asking why maybe they aren't. David, not only did he love God and live for him, but he loved, God, he loved and accepted and he was with his people. You know, there were basically, you know, it goes down through those three different kinds of men who came to David and they were distressed. The distressed people, you know, were probably the people who came from Israel who had been persecuted by Saul. He, he, Saul was not a good king and people were fleeing from him and getting away from him as quickly as possible. If people are running away from you rather than to you, you need to ask yourself why. And you need to look at who they're running to and say, I need to be a man like that. Because these people were running away from Saul and running to David. You know, those who were in debt and they were about to be sold to slavery, they didn't have anything else to live for. They're like, I can't pay my debts. I don't want to be a slave. I'll go, I'm going to go fight alongside David and hope that I can get out of this. You know, those who were just discontented and unhappy with what life had to offer. Life hadn't been good to them, but David offered them hope. When your brothers in, in, in Christ look at you, do they look and say, man, I can find hope in being with that person. They can help lead me through these things, they can help lead me beyond. You know, and I think about all these men gathering in the cave, and I think about uh, what kind of crazy group of people this must have looked like. You know, the, this band of misfits that he has in this cave, who are a bunch of warriors, and I think about how rough they must have looked, and I think about all the different types of people that were there, and I and it's just really cool to think about. Like I was. We were talking about uh, ACB and with all the pressure that ACB has been under and the attacks that have been coming. And one of the things that people say is if you're not just like them, they won't accept you. And uh, Hannah and I looked at each other when we were reading some of these things and we started laughing. I'm like, I dare any group on campus to come to us and show us that they have more diversity in their groups than we have in ACB because it ain't happening. We got every kind of person you, you could ever want to find. We got every color. We got nationalities out the wazoo. We got, we got the smart kids. We got the not-so-smart so meatheads. We have, uh, we've got, you know, we have all kinds of different people. We've got, we've got beautiful people, and we've got not-so-pretty people. And we've got, you know, we have a diverse group of people. And I was thinking, you know, as everybody was walking across campus, they had these big uh, across-between shirts on. I think Tim Pruitt had one. I don't know if he still does. But it's got the big red shiny A on it. Leo's got it on. Stand up, Leo. They're walking around campus with this shirt on, and it's like the scarlet letter. You know, we were like, okay, you want to label us? You want to, you know, persecute us? We're going to wear a scarlet A on our chest. And I was thinking about, as people watched 
a hundred people walking around campus with that shirt on, they had to be thinking, that dude does not look like he fits with that dude. And why would that girl go be in a group with those two dudes? You know, like, they had to be thinking, like, this is the strangest group of people I've ever seen in my life. What is it that bands them together? And I think about, and I thought about the relationships that they shared. And I had never thought about, like, the fact that they probably goofed around and joked around like we do. And like we long to. I was singing, you know, I was singing with them, man. These mighty men of God, which we're going to talk about some of the stories in a minute. You're going to get an idea why I had this perception. But weren't they just men? Don't you think that they sat around and talked about sweaty balls? Don't you think that they sat around and, like, like, and joked about those things? Because I think they did. And as I read this, I want to read this one excerpt of this book for you. And there was a bunch of different things in this book that I wanted to read. Because it, there's some just really passionate, heartfelt things. But I didn't want to give anything away. And I felt like this is something I can read without giving away too much. But I think we need to understand that these men who passionately, forcefully pushed the kingdom of God forward were men like us. They were normal men. Joab, who later on gets in a whole bunch of trouble with David. But basically, even in the biblical portrait, you find out, you see, he was always trying to get in and be right next to David because he wanted to be like the man. And, and later on, it gets the best of him and he ends up dying for it. But they, you know, he's always trying to get in there. And so they're always, and he's also related. So they kind of tease him about being a, a butt kisser and things like that. But they also are teasing each other. And it says, where is Joab, asked Benaniah, with his brother Abishai, uh, replied Joshua. Did you not hear? He finally gave up his own independence and he stitched himself into David's tunic, said Shema. And Shema is a guy in the book who never jokes. And the humor was so unexpected that the entire group halted and stared at Shema, who looked at them awkwardly. Wide-eyed, Joseph said, it cannot be. Not Shema making jokes. Shema scratched his face and looked back down to the ground. And Eleazar said, that's funny. Tell me more jokes and start telling more jokes like that and you will finally get a woman. You... <laughs> And the new guy looks at him and says, you don't have a woman, Shama? No wife? No slave girl, Keth asked? Joseph chuckled. Ha. Shama has killed entire troops of men with only his hands, but bumbles all over himself when a beautiful woman walks nearby. We can't even get him to talk to him. I offered my sister just to put him out of his misery, and he still refused. <laughs> That's because your sister looks like you, said Eleazar. <laughs> One day the right one will come along. Yahweh will guide me to her, said Shama. Just don't go, just don't be guided to the camels. You're looking pretty desperate enough to make the love to one of them if you're left alone, <laughs> Joseph replied. They roared at that one, and despite his best efforts, Shema couldn't disguise his own smile. And, you know, as I'm reading this book, it's painting this picture of just men who are together. They're together in, in every sense of the word. They're, they're together physically, they're spending time together, and they're with one another, and they're together in unity, and they're together in purpose, and, and they're... You know, they're, they're always together. They're joking. They're, that's what our relationship should look like. You know, that's the thing that for so many years I looked at our churches that I always felt like distinguished our church from other churches was that you go to other churches and you go to church on Sunday and maybe on Wednesday if you, you know, don't have a mild cough. And then, you know, then, you, then you're good till the next week. But at our church, one of the things that I always felt like set our churches apart was the relationships. The togetherness that we have, the fire that we have for one another and for pushing the kingdom of God forward together. And I watched that and it was inspiring. And it was something that I love to see about us. But I've got to tell you, a lot of times, guys, I look at that now and I'm like, man, it seems like 
it's doing this. And in all honesty, guys, it seems to be doing this in our, a lot of times with our older Christians, our mature Christians. And that's something that, you know, I've been really proud of. You know, I've watched in the past couple of years, and this is a conversation we'd had at the crossings. And I've watched the adults and the campuses talk about how proud we've been to see the adults gather around each other and be together more and develop even deeper relationships. And they're doing, like, fun events together. And they're, you know, laughing together. And we see things about them doing things on Facebook together. And that is encouraging. And it reminds me, we have a church that if we are together, nothing can stop us. When God's people are unified behind His purposes, nothing can stand in our way. You see, they didn't stay in that cave forever because together they had power. Together they were able to go and do some amazing things. And I want to talk about a little bit of the power that they had and some of the things that took place. Uh, these are the names of David's mighty warriors. I'm not going to go through all the names because we'd be here forever. But Joshua, Besheba, and the Tachamite... <laughs> was the chief of the three. He raised his spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. Next to him was Eleazar, son of Dodai the Ahohite. As one of the three mighty warriors, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines at past Damon for battle. The Israelites retreated, but Eleazar stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and it froze to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the troops returned to Eleazar, but only to strip the dead. I thought that was kind of funny, because I'm like, we were talking about this earlier. You know, they were together. They didn't do everything together. But they were men who could, these mighty men were men who were also able to stand on their own, but they were also realizing the importance of community. It wasn't always going to be that way. They faced battles where they would fight thousands upon thousands of men, and you find out that they fought in the way that they're fight style was that they were basically washing each other's backs because their backs weren't covered. But you got this man, and you know, I had to be thinking to all the other Israelites who came back down there. I just killed 800 of them, and I'm about to take out 800 of you because you kept running up the hill. You know, but it goes on and it says, Next to him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Herite. When the Philistines banded together in a place where there was a field full of lentils, Israel's troops fled from them. But Shammah took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended it and struck the Philistines down, and the Lord brought about a great victory. Abishai, the brother of Joab, son of Zeriah, was the chief of the three. He raised his spear against 300 men whom he killed and became as famous as the three. Was he not held in greater honor than the three? He became their commander, even though he was not included among them. Benaniah, son of Jehoiadiah, a valiant fighter from Kabzeel, performed great exploits. He struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. And he struck down a huge Egyptian. Although the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, Benaniah went against him with a club, and he snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. These were the exploits of Benaniah, the son of Jehodiah. He too was as famous as the three. He was held in great honor above the other 30, but he was not included among the three, and David put him in charge of the bodyguard. And I see those stories, and you know, those are individual things that I see, and those are, those are cool stories to hear, but my favorite story about the mighty men is the, is the one where the three of them are together. There's three of them who band together. And, and as I was reading this in the book, uh, in the second book, David, they're looking over where they're getting ready to fight. And he's looking over his hometown of Bethlehem. And he's looking and he's telling, and they're sitting around, and they're sitting at a campfire. And I imagine a lot like campfires that you and I have sat around in, or small groups where we talk about, man, I remember back when I was younger. And I've, got, I've heard tons of Danny Gill stories like this. You know, you're like these stories where he starts talking about things that he, had happened when he grew up. 
And I, and, and I can just see David sitting there and saying, man, when I was a shepherd in Bethlehem, there was this, there was this well of water that had the best tasting water you could ever taste in your life. Man, I just, oh, I just crave it. It's like me with salmon lilies. I'm like, you know, like I want to drive over on my lunch hours to get salmon lilies. And I, and I think about him sitting there thinking and talking about that to the three and just saying there was no other, there was no other well like this that you could get this good of water. It's just, you know, when you had that thing from back home that you just long for. And I can see David explaining that to the men. In verse 13 through 17 of that chapter, it says, During harvest time, three of the thirty, the chief warriors, came down to David at the cave of Agilom, while a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. At that time, David was in the stronghold, and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. And David longed for water and said, Oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near, near the gate of Bethlehem. So the three mighty warriors broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and carried it back to David. But he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord, saying, Far be it from me, Lord, to do this. It is not the blood of men who... Uh, it is, not, is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their own lives? And David would not drink it. Such were the exploits of the three mighty warriors. So David, you can see him saying, man, I wish I had some of that water. And they're like, hey guys, I got an idea. I know that we're going to have to fight through the entire Philistine army to go get it. But let's go down there and get David some water. And then we'll fight our way back through and we'll meet up with him and we'll give him the water. And I'm thinking, man, what kind of... What kind of loyalty and what kind of love and what kind of passion must they had for their king to be willing to do something like that for this man? That they would say, all right, here we go. We're going to get this water that he longs to have and we'll do whatever it takes to get there. We're going to risk our own necks to go get this to please him. And I started thinking about us and realizing that you guys, together requires us to be together in several areas. For us to be able to go out and to, to really change the world and be men who have manned up together, we're going to have to be together in some very specific areas. First of all, together requires us uniting around a cause. And that cause is pleasing the king and advancing the kingdom. You see, David was sitting there, and he was their king. And he says, man, I really wish I, I, wish I could have a drink from that well up by the gate of Bethlehem. And they looked at each other and they're like, our job is to please the king and advance the kingdom. If we keep the king pleased, if we can go and do this for him and we can do this, I know that it will benefit us because it will, and you can hear him talking almost. Man, think about how this would lift David's spirits to know that we fought through the Philistine army, got him some water from the well that he longed for. Think about how much it's going to tell him we have his back and we support him and we want him to know that. And so they go and do that and they were united behind supporting this king and advancing the kingdom. And we need to look and ask ourselves, am I, so, am I so passionately driven that I want to please the king and advance the kingdom that I'm willing to stand arm in arm with my brothers and go to hell and back in order to do what God has put me here to do? It is difficult building good relationships. You know, I think for these guys, you read about them killing all these people and are like, ah, so what? They could fight through an army, get some water and take it back. And sometimes I think looking at relationships and doing the hard work that it takes to have intimate relationships, get, having the honesty that it, ta- that it takes, the embarrassment that you go through in order to have good relationships, sometimes I wonder if maybe that isn't more hard work than fighting through an army of people. But these men were willing to do whatever it took to please their king. Are you willing and 
and passionate enough to do whatever it takes to do that? Are you willing to lay down your personal insecurities? Are you willing to lay down your life and to lay down your time in, 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 in order to get close to those men so that you can band together and you can push the kingdom of God forward? They were together. It, being together requires great commitment. It requires you being committed to God, and it requires you being committed to the men and women around you. You know, I, I, Ben and I were talking, and, and I remember one time I was worried about keeping my job at Lindenwood, and Ben's like, if they fire you, I'm leaving. I'm quitting. You know, and, and I was like, all right, we'll be homeless together. You know, like, we'll not pay our house bill together. And, but it was cool to look and know that Ben was so committed to our relationship that outside circumstances were not going to affect that. And we need to have that kind of relationship with one another that we are so committed that no matter what we are going to we are going to lock together and we are never going to be we are never going to let go of one another. When I was in the youth group, uh, Mike Kiffmeyer used to make us do all kinds of crazy, insane things that he probably could have gotten in trouble for doing, <laughs> like letting us fish under the bridge or you know whatever it might be, <laughs> swim under the bridge. Yeah. So you know, but one of the things that we used to do that we don't do as much in the youth groups now is we used to play this game called lockup. Remember lockup? And basically what we do is all the guys, this is going to sound horrible, but all the guys would lay on the floor together in this huge pile and they would lock arms, lock legs, lock everything. I mean, just you, you would hold on to all the guys and the girls would get in a big circle around the guys and they would yank you apart. So you would have like people pulling your legs and you'd be like holding on by a pinky. Marlon and I never, ever, not one time when we played that game, got pulled apart. They called time every time because we were committed to saying, we are not going to be pulled apart. And Satan comes to our churches and he treats it like a big game of lockup. And he says, oh, I'm going to get you all apart and I'm going to do whatever it takes. I don't care if I have to scrape. I don't have to care if I have to pinch, if I have to bite, if I have to kick, if I have to. I'm going to get in between your relationships with these other men and I'm going to destroy them. And we need to have the kind of commitment to God and the commitment to one another that says, I don't care what you do. You are not getting you're not pulling us apart until God calls time. You're screwed because we're not letting go of each other. So you can do whatever you want, but this man that I've locked together with, I'm not letting go of because I know that it is essential for me to have awesome, godly, man-up relationships that the kingdom of God is going to be what it needs to be. So come on, bring it on, Satan. You can drag whatever body part you want, but it's not happening. And I don't think that we can really honestly describe our relationships with one another like that. We so easily give up and we so easily let go sometimes. And we let Satan get in there and pry and cause bitterness. And we want to, we think, well, you did me wrong here. Well, you did me wrong there. And we get in these fights. And, you know, we've, you guys, we've had that trouble, you know, in your own small groups. We've had that trouble in ministries. We've had that trouble between our churches, right? And finally, now we've got it right. And we've said, you know what, Satan, we're done with this crap. We're going to sit in a room. We're going to intervene with one another until we come out of that room saying, you're not going to rip us apart. You know, it's not going to happen anymore. And I think this year, I think the atmosphere, the men's retreat this year is better than it has been in a long, long, long time with our relationships with our churches. You guys agree? I think that it's, you know, God is, is we're about to see some amazing things happen because men are uniting. The church is pulling together. And when we leave here, we need to be committed to holding on to those things. You guys, being together and, and going out into the, into the field and advancing the kingdom of God is going to take risk. 
You know, it, it, you risk your heart. You risk the, the possibility of losing other men when you go out and you're fighting for God. And it's, it's a difficult thing, but we have to be willing to lay our lives down in order to please the king. It requires sacrifice. It requires you doing things that you're uncomfortable doing. It requires you getting involved in relationships. Stop making excuses for why you're not close to the men in your small group. We have got to pull together. We have to man up together. And we have to march home. And our wives, uh, think about how your wives and the women in your small groups would feel if all of a sudden you go home and you have this, these tight relationships with your brothers in Christ. They're going to be looking at there and going to be like, what happened at the men's retreat? I've never seen that. And then as they watch over time, as you hold to those men, and as you get more close and more intimate, and you've got other married men or other fathers saying, listen, you're being a crappy husband. And you're like, you're right, I am. And you band together and you help each other become better. Our wives and the women of our church are going to look at that and they're going to be like, man, our men came back manned up together. And they're going to march wherever they have to march in order to be the kind of man God wants them to be. And they're going to join in behind us. And this army is just going to swell. And just like in the video, it starts with a few rappers. And then you see more and more people running behind him in that man up video. And you're going to see churches just, just blazing a trail that no one could stand in front of. We have got to be men who man up together. You know, as, as I thought about uh, the cave and, and them coming to the cave, I thought about, like, at, my, at our office. You see, these articles that came out, if you haven't read the articles that came out in the Lindenwood Legacy, they're pretty rough. They're pretty mean articles. Uh, but the articles wasn't really where it stopped either. Uh, we've had people have stuff thrown at them, people cussed at them, people make fun of people, uh, threats made against kids in ACB. You know, there's been some pretty crazy stuff that's happened. And I remember reading those articles, and I remember it's similar to a situation that even happened last year. I, I remember reading those things, and I was sitting at my desk, and I look over at Ben, and Ben and I are just looking at each other, and we're shaking our heads like, this can't be real life. This is, what is, this is crazy. But the cool thing was, is like, I felt like we were in that cave. And we're sitting there looking at each other like, you know, and then you look at the door and you're like, well, we can go out there and we can face the students at Lindenwood or we can stay here in our office. But the cool thing was that an ACB person would walk in and they'll be like, can you believe this? And then, and by the, you know, there were like 30 some people in the office and I'm looking around, I'm like, "Um, we're going to get in more trouble now because all of ACB is cramming into my office. But it was also so cool because their reaction Whenever Satan is trying to rip everybody apart, everybody's reaction is we're going to converge together. We are not going to be pulled apart by this. And to watch our ACB uh, group wall on Facebook just blow up with people saying, do good, be kind, listening scriptures, talking about how God uses persecution to bring about great things. And you see this group of people who Satan is trying to rip apart and you see, you see God stepping in saying, uh-uh, that's not happening. We're banding together. We're going we're gonna to do this the way that God would want us to. And, I, you know, I was kind of, we talked about, we're like, man, I wonder what's going to happen with cross chats. And I wonder if, like, next week at cross chat, if there's going to be three people there, you know. And, and I've had people come up to me and say, you know, and actually I had a conversation with uh, one of the administrators at the school. And, they, and, and I said, you know, a student came up to me the other day and said, so since the articles have all come out, how many people has ACB lost? And I said, what do you mean? I knew what they meant, but I wanted them to explain it. <laughs> you know, I'm like, what do you mean? Well, how many people have, you know, left the group since these articles have come out? I said, none. 
was like, as a matter of fact, four of them who left before have come back since the articles came back. And they were like, what? I'm like, yeah. I was like, it's crazy, you know? I said, actually, even one of them, Trent Smith said, Kerry, trust me. You can trust my motives because if, I was, if I'm coming back now, you know it's got to be for the right reasons. Because I wouldn't be coming back right now if it wasn't for the right reasons. And it's been cool because not only that, but there's been new faces at CrossChat. And I think that's because Satan is trying to rip us apart. And instead of being ripped apart, everybody's gone together and said, we're not backing down. I'm going to wear my ACB shirt with pride. And I'm going to continue to tell people how God has used ACB to change my life. As a matter of fact, we're going to wear our shirts every single day. I'm watching as ACB people come in and out. Most of the people who are coming in the office are wearing some kind of a cross between shirt. And I'm listening to the conversations that they're having. And they're, and they're talking about how awesome God is and how powerful he is. And how we're not going to be sidetracked by what Satan is trying to do here. We're going to stick together, and I've seen God do amazing things. And during that time, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's, that, uh, maybe it's uh, getting to talk to Marla more in the past few weeks, but I don't know. What, actually, it started before that. I, I, normally, I hate Christian rap, like what you heard here. The, normally, when I used to listen to Christian rap, I'm like, that sounds like crap. And I joke about, you know, crappy Christian music, CCM, and I tease about those things. But I started listening to the 116, and then I started listening to their individual albums, and as, I've, as we've been going through this stuff, I've been banding together with people, but I've also been listening to this music and posting it on Facebook. And there was one song, and, he, and it's called I'm Good. And it's pretty cool because Trip Lee sings it, and he's talking about how all this craziness is going on around him, but I'm good. And he talks about how, you know, pressure, you know, and it, that's the thing that, bring, that creates diamonds. And all these things, he's like, all the junk that happens in life is meant for something good to happen. And there's one section where he's talking about being persecuted, and he says, We've done, been through the fire, we survived all the floods, and those riders that's with me, they're all covered in blood. Drag our name through the mud, and they can hate, they can gossip, but our passion, passion for Jesus, they ain't never going to stop it. And as I heard that, and I was thinking about, you know, these riders are with me, they're all covered in blood. And I was thinking about all the ACB kids at LU have been slammed like crazy. And everybody's been beat up by it. And I think about in our lives and how God, how Satan is beating us up and he's fighting and he's wanting us to fall apart. And sometimes we come in and people walk in and you can see it in their face. They just look like they're covered in blood from the beating they're taking from the world. And we look at it, you know, like, man, Satan is trying so hard to tear us apart. They can drag our name through the mud and they can hate and they can gossip. But as long as we're together and we're forcefully advancing the kingdom of God, they'll never take our passion for Jesus. And they can't stop us regardless of what they think. They can take away our organization statuses. They can write us up in the paper. They can put us on Fox 2. And we don't give a crap because that's not what matters. What matters is our relationship with God, our relationship with His people, and our love for the people who we want to have a relationship with God. And if we can band together behind those things, if we can man up together, and we can leave here this weekend together, one in heart, one in soul, one in mind, and we can leave here with those kind of relationships, God will use us like mighty men in the world. And it doesn't matter how many people stand in front of us, it doesn't matter what Satan throws in our way, they're going down. And we need to man up together and we need to realize that the, the men who are here from your church, you need them. You desperately need them. Let's man up together and let's go out into the world and let's show the world what Jesus 
designed the church to look like. And I promise you, if we do that, they'll want to be part of what we have. They'll look in and they'll see, that's what manning up looks like. Manning up means being a good father. Manning up means being a good dad. Manning up means I can listen to authority and have respect for it, and I, can, and I can be someone who has a productive life. Manning up means being able to be together with people and have deep, intimate relationships. If that's what manning up is, if that's what a relationship with God looks like, that's what I'm going to do. So let's man up together and let's make a difference in the world. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I want to thank you again for just being a God who... Uh, who brings together misfits of groups of people in dark, dun- dungy places, God, that you, you, you bring us together and you say, listen, together, if you follow me, we can change the world. We can turn the world upside down. You know, you think about the, the mighty men, and then you think about the ragtag band of men that he put together in the first century and how they changed the world and they changed, they changed an entire generation, God, and they passed something down to us. Help us to man up together so that we can do the same thing for the generations to follow. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.